Hello and welcome to the I Am Guru Gray podcast. I'm your host, Gray Goodfriend. Happy to have you here listening. Very excited to get into it today. Uh, without further ado, I'll just jump in. Uh, Going to be going over my 2020-2021 NBA regular season awards. Uh, I love doing this every single year. Uh, this year is no different. Uh, you know, the MVP race, I think, was probably a bigger discussion this season than probably any season I can remember, except for maybe that 2017 year uh, with, you know, Russell Westbrook's triple-double and James Harden and Kawhi and LeBron. Um, you know, I feel like this year everybody was kind of bringing up the MVP race like 15 games into the season. I don't I don't recall that ever happening before, so I thought uh, it was it kind of became a very big storyline um, until uh, the Joker, Nikola Jokic, ended up kind of running away with it. Uh, there's going to be some, some idiots out there that, uh, that might try to tell you otherwise, but, uh, anybody who doesn't have the Joker as their MVP this season, uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, if you do not think Jokic is the MVP, look, that's not an insult to you. Uh, you just might want to rethink, you just might want to rethink it. Uh, I'll lay it out for you right now. So let's jump right into it. We'll start with the MVP. Um, so I'll be giving you my full ballot. Five spots for MVP, three for Defensive Player of the Year, all NBA teams. Going to go through everything. So MVP, my number one first place vote, Nikola Jokic. Uh, the greatest offensive season by a center possibly ever. Definitely uh, within the last 20 seasons, undoubtedly. Uh, you know, 26 points a game, 11 rebounds, 8.5 assists a game. Uh, wildly efficient. He shot 57% from the field. Uh Strapping it from deep, 39% from three, 87 from the line. I mean, just truly outstanding stuff here. Uh, there was there was a moment in the season where I I really thought that Jokic was going to create the 60-40-90 club. You know, everyone wants to talk about the 50-40-90 club, 50% from the field, 40 from three, 90 from the line. Uh, I mean, there was, there was a stretch where, like, I think it was like maybe 25 games in, Jokic's shooting splits were like 59 from from the field, 41 from three, and 89 from the line. I mean, the guy was just unbelievable. He didn't miss a game. Uh, he was third in the NBA in minutes played this season, behind only Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Um, so you know, you'll you'll hear people say availability is the best uh, ability when it comes to MVP. Uh, Jokic certainly fits the description. Always been uh, rock solid. Never missed more than nine games in a season his entire career. Uh, stayed fully healthy this year. Um, the Nuggets were unbelievable when he was on the court, um, and maybe average, if we're being generous, when he was off the court. Um, you know, they end up finishing the three seed in the Western Conference, uh, despite you know Michael Porter Jr. going to health and safety protocols for a long stretch of time, Jamal Murray missing the last twenty plus games of the season with uh, torn ACL. Sadly, um, he was doing some great things before he got hurt, but. Through and through, there was there was one man consistent above the rest, and that was Nikola Jokic. Uh, I mean, the last few weeks of the season, the, the Nuggets are starting Austin Rivers and Faku Campazo as their two guards. You know, that's not a knock against either of those guys, but th- those are not those are not starting guards on a playoff team. That's just ridiculous. The fact that he's carrying this team. I think uh, Denver went sixteen and eight without Jamal Murray this season. Um, 
you know, I, I could I could go on for days talking about Jokic. Uh, he had one of the greatest advanced metric seasons uh, by anybody that was not LeBron, Michael Jordan, or Kareem that we've ever seen. Uh, led the NBA in win shares, offensive win shares, offensive bucks plus minus, value over replacement player, bucks plus minus. I mean, and, and nobody else was even close. Uh, I like uh, 538, their Raptor metric, which is basically a wins over replacement type of deal. Um, I mean, nobody was even approaching Jokic in that. Embiid was kind of hanging with him before he got hurt, but ultimately Jokic plays 20 more games than Embiid, and uh, and and the Nuggets win a uh, bunch more games than the Warriors did. So that, that kind of eliminates the Steph argument for me. So kind of moving on from that, uh, I have Steph and Embiid as my two and three. I was really battling with myself on this. I could have gone either way. I ended up putting Steph at two, Embiid at three. Uh you know, the the, arg- the argument for Embiid over Steph here is that uh, the Sixers actually, oh, Embiid actually won more games than Steph did this season despite playing uh, less games. Um, you know, his his efficiency was uh, not, not quite off the charts, but definitely the best of his career. Uh, he was shooting it better from three, best we've ever seen. He was getting to the line a ton, uh, about 11 free throw attempts per game. Um you know, we've heard some comparisons, people saying like, oh, he's basically prime Shaq with a jumper. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's definitely reminiscent of uh, some Shaquille O'Neal level dominance. Uh, you know, when it comes to his impact on both sides, he's definitely a better defender than Jokic and more defensive impact than Steph, without a doubt. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's hard when uh, when he misses, you know, 21 games in a, in a 72 game season. So, yeah, Embiid was awesome. But that's that's really the main the main difference here for me. Steph, I have as my second. He's given my second place MVP vote. Uh, so he only misses nine games. Um, the Warriors go one and eight in games that Steph misses. Scoring title, uh, you know, arguably the greatest three point shooting season of all time. Uh, it's the greatest three pointers made per game mark in the history of the NBA. Uh, he was taking about 13 a game, <laughs> still hitting 42% uh, while being picked up by two defenders at half court nearly every possession. It's like, uh, it's just stuff that we've never seen from any basketball player ever before. Uh, and he makes it look easy. And especially when you look at, uh, you know, the last two months or so of the season, uh, Steph goes on this scoring rampage. Uh, you know, I think he became the oldest player to ever have. Uh, whatever was his streak of 30 plus point games. I think it was, I think it was 10 straight. Uh, I think he surpassed Kobe. Um, I mean, we look at Steph post all-star break. It feels like every season there's uh kind of that one guy who just ramps it up to a whole completely different level after the all-star break this year was Steph. Uh, he got, he, he puts up 35 points per game, uh, on 43% shooting from three on 14 threes a game in 28 games after the all-star break. Uh, and Golden State goes 19 and nine in these games, uh, so some some wildly impressive stuff uh, from Steph Curry this year. Um, you know, before the season, we heard a lot of rumblings from people saying, "Oh, you know, Steph is he's exiting his prime. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be hard without without Clay, without KD. It's we're not going to see the same Steph. He's not going to be able to get his shots. He silenced all that pretty quickly, and then some." Um, Pretty remarkable season. Uh, ultimately, I do feel like he was a little bit more valuable this season than Embiid was to Philly. Um, 
And then rounding out my top five for the MVP ballot, I have Giannis getting my fourth place vote. Uh, you know, we, we heard it a lot this year with the, the voter fatigue stuff uh, after winning it the last two seasons, um, especially in, in dominant fashion uh, last season, winning it over LeBron as he should have. Um, this season he still puts up uh, almost the same production he has the last two years when he won MVP. So it feels... It would have felt very wrong to to leave Giannis off the ballot or not not have him in this kind of top group. Um, you know, he's at 28, 11, and 6 a game. Shoots 57% from the field, uh, 69% from the line. Uh, I mean, he's still uh, an all-defensive level player on that end of the floor. And uh, Milwaukee does end up capturing the, the three seed in the East, uh, I think only finishing one game back of the Nets. Uh, maybe it was two games. Um, but they were they were in contention for uh, that top spot. You know they were had they had one of the greatest offenses of all time, led by Giannis, of course. And it's just like, you know, he's uh, the third player in league history to put up twenty five, ten, five, a block and a steal per game. Um, and that's this is the uh, the fourth year in a row that he's done that, I believe. Uh, we've just never really seen anything like Giannis. You know, he only he only misses ten games. Uh, this gonna be a big theme down the ballot this year, uh, guys missing games in this really, really weird season. Um, but generally, Giannis was very healthy, very, very always there and dependable for, for Milwaukee on both ends of the floor. Um, and, you know, it just feels like you're getting a, a top three seed if Giannis is on your team, if he plays most of the season now, and, and this year was no different. Um, and then this last spot was uh, a tough one. So before I say who it was, there's uh, I ended up narrowing it down to five more realistic candidates here. Um, Kawhi was probably last of this group of five. And then uh, the the four that were really in contention for this fifth spot uh, for me were uh, Chris Paul uh, of the Phoenix Suns. Julius Randle uh, had an awesome season for the Knicks. Damian Lillard carried the Portland Trailblazers as always. And ultimately the guy who I'm going with in this fifth spot, Luka Doncic. Uh so really interesting season from Luca. A lot of a lot of sports books had him pegged as a, a preseason favorite to win MVP. Um, I think it was him and uh, and Giannis and LeBron were kind of the first three for uh, betting odds uh, going into the season. Um, you know he ends up putting up basically the same numbers he did last year, uh, except he stays a little bit healthier. The Mavs end up capturing uh, the five seed uh, pretty impressively, despite starting eight and thirteen. Uh, you know, they're missing during that time. They're missing Christoph Porzingis and Josh Richardson and Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba. Uh, basically all their role players are just in and out due to injuries and, and, uh, COVID health and safety protocols. Uh, but Luca's there, he's putting up his, his 28, nine assists and eight rebounds a game this season. He got a lot better on defense this year. Uh, you know, his size really helps him on that end of the floor, uh, trying to be an impact defender. Uh, he really struggled with that last year since, you know, it was only second year in the league. But this year he kind of started to figure it out. And, like, his, his rebounding really helps him make an impact on, on that side as well. Um, and then his shooting was was really impressive. So he got out to a little bit of a slow start. Um, you know, the Mavs really just had kind of that, that season from hell at the beginning of the year, uh, missing all their guys. Luka kind of shows up a little bit out of shape because, uh, you know, going into the year, a lot of the guys think uh, – 
the NBA might start late January, kind of around MLK Day, but we end up starting December 22nd, uh, right before Christmas. So Luca's one of a few guys that shows up out of shape. But then you look at like his last 40 games. Um, by the way, over the last 40 games, the Mavs go, uh, I think, I think they, will, they, they went like 30 and 15 over the last 45. Uh, completely different team from when they started the season. And then Luca shoots 38% from three over his last 40 games. Um, so he started out slow, and uh, it just gets to the point where, you know, every game you can count on him to just hit two, three, four, sometimes even five threes. When, you know, last year and at the beginning of the year, that was just not not something you'd get. You know, you'd have a lot of games where he goes one for nine, one for ten from three, and it's he's put up these ridiculous shots. And then, like, he just figures it out this year, and he, he becomes an awesome three-point shooter in addition to being – you know, one of the three best passers in the entire league. Uh, and he steps it up on defense. And he's the glue that holds the Mavs together. And he's just flat-out dominant and fully deserving of this uh, this fifth spot on the MVP ballot. So hats off to Luka. Um, that rounds out the MVP ballot. I think uh, it was just a really weird race. Because uh, Embiid, you know, we there everybody was crowning the MVP throughout the year. And it felt like we had, like, five different guys. Because... Uh, for the first 20 or so games, it was like Embiid's unbelievable. And then it was kind of this LeBron fest. And then there was some buzz for Giannis and then Steph and then all these guys. And there was even, you know, some Jimmy Butler stuff. Chris Paul, Dame for a stretch is getting all this love. Um, but never, never Nikola Jokic. It's the, the like the media is scared to just crown this guy. Like sports media is just scared to crown this guy the MVP when it's like, He's the best offensive player in the league this year, the best player throughout the season, and uh, leads the Nuggets to the three seed. And uh, I think for, for the MVP voting this year, I, I think it'll be a disgrace if he doesn't get at least 85% of the first-place votes, uh, if, not, if not a unanimous MVP. I, I don't really see a real case for anyone else. So anyway, moving on. Rookie of the year. Uh, this is another interesting one. So... You know, LaMelo Ball kind of runs away with it for a lot of the uh, the beginning of the year. Um, and then he has his broken wrist about 40 games in or so. Um, and then it it feels like a toss-up because we think LaMelo might miss the, uh, the entire rest of the year. Uh, and nobody really knows. And then uh, there becomes this Anthony Edwards buzz. So once he became, uh, you know kind of the, the Timberwolves' second option. Once Malik Beasley got suspended and then was kind of in and out of the lineup and barely played the rest of the year. So that would be the uh, the last 42 games uh, for Minnesota. Anthony Edwards putting up 23 points per game, uh, five rebounds a game, three assists a game. Um, Minnesota, you know, they, they finished at the bottom of the West. I think they were the uh, 13th seed. Uh, they actually end up doing pretty decent toward the end of the year. I think they go... I think it was 11 and 10 in games where Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell all play together. Um, will that potentially cost them uh, their lottery pick that they might send to Golden State, which is top three protected? Yeah, it might. Um, but, you know, if you're a Timberwolves fan, I guess you got to look at the bright side and, and just say, all right, this is our core. And when we have Anthony Edwards and Cat together, like we, we win games. Uh, half the time, which is is not easy in the Western Conference. You got to give credit to them. Um, 
Because you're if you're if you're Minnesota, you're you're really worried about Cat being the uh, the next unhappy star, and Anthony Edwards could be the next star to pair with him. Um, so he finished the year really strong, putting up twenty points, uh, at least twenty points almost every game. Um, however, at the beginning of the year, he was just abysmal. I mean, he was dreadful. You look at Anthony Edwards' first twenty games in the league. I know a lot of rookies start slow, but this was just exceptionally bad. Uh, he's only scoring 13 a game and he's the least efficient volume shooter in the league, except for Russell Westbrook through the first two and a half months of the season. So he's literally shooting 37% from the field, 32 from three, uh, through his first 25 games. Um, and he's, he's a huge negative on defense. The Timberwolves are getting shredded when he's on the court. Uh, they start really slow. Sure. Cats in and out of the lineup, but uh, it just took him a little while to figure out. Meanwhile, uh, LaMelo starts really strong, uh, and he ends up working his way into the starting lineup for Charlotte. And uh, at the beginning of the year, he almost looked like a six-man-of-the-year candidate when he was coming off the bench. Uh, and he ends up leading the Hornets uh, into the play the play-in tournament. Um, sure, last night they uh, they ended up losing to Indiana. Um, but, you know, they, they really struggled with uh, without Gordon Hayward toward the end of the year. Um, but my, my rookie of the year, uh, is going to be LaMelo Ball. Uh, he, he only ended up missing about 20 games, um, due to that broken wrist, uh, came back a lot quicker than people thought, but you know, he, when, whenever he was getting 30 minutes a game, he was the most dependable 17, seven and seven from a rookie that, that, that I've ever really seen, except for maybe Luca recently. Um, and he was just really impacting winning basketball for them much more so than Anthony Edwards was for the Timberwolves for uh, the whole season. It's a full season award. Uh, if it's only for the last half of the year, maybe things are different. But uh, it's a full season award. And then uh, there's only three spots on the rookie of the year ballot. So my third spot is uh, it's going to go to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, he was probably potentially my favorite rookie to watch this season. Um, he, he really played like he was a seven or eight year veteran. Felt like he was always in the right place, never taking bad shots or never taking shots away from anyone. Um, he he had some six-man-of-the-year momentum as well. I mean, he was coming off the bench, uh, you know, with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald starting for Sacramento. Uh, but, you know, he was not hurting them on defense despite the Kings being <laughs> one of the worst defenses. Uh, sorry, the worst defense uh, in, in the history of the NBA this season. Um, but Tyrese Halliburton, you know, he sees the court like a veteran. He he's an unbelievable playmaker, um, and he shot forty one percent from three, uh, which I believe was the best mark of uh, any rookie. Um, unless I'm missing something here. I mean, he shot it better than you know Lamelo, Edwards, Emmanuel Quickly, Sadiq Bay, any of these other guys. Uh, I think Desmond Bain actually shot it slightly better from three. Um, less attempts though, and he's you know more catch more of a catch and shoot guy. Um, so Tyrese Halliburton, I, I was really impressed with him, uh, and he was taken what twelfth in the NBA draft this year. I mean, he made everybody that passed on him uh, early in the lottery look look foolish after the top three picks. Uh, there's a real case to be made that, that he should have been taken, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth in this draft. Um, you know, the fact that the Knicks took Obi Toppin over him, or that the Cavs took Isaac Okoro over him, like I, I'm sure those teams would uh, would redo that if they if they had the opportunity. Um, Moving on, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, this was uh, actually talked about a lot more than usual. So some very familiar faces here. Uh, Rudy Gobert, 
who has won, uh, I believe, two of the last three Defensive Player of the Year awards, um, even winning a couple years ago when uh, when he missed a full third of the season. That's just how dominant he was on defense. Uh, he's really just the the best defensive anchor I've seen in quite some time. It's like he's basically a, a Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Dikembe Mutombo level defensive anchor. Um Utah ends up finishing the season with the the fourth-ranked defense in the NBA, uh, the fourth-most efficient defense, only allowing 108.3 points per 100 possessions, um, behind only the Knicks, Sixers, and Lakers. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but you look at you look up and down the Jazz. Uh, they're not they're not they don't have a bunch of very talented defenders. Uh, you know, Royce O'Neal, he's good, not great. And then you have Donovan Mitchell, who's probably a Slight minus on defense. Mike Conley's probably an average, maybe slightly above average defender. Boyan Bogdanovich, he's a minus on defense. Jordan Clarkson, he's a minus on defense. Joe Ingles, I love him. Uh, he's always in the right spot. He kind of, you know, he does what he, he does what he can. Uh, I, I'd say he's probably a plus defender, but he, you know, Rudy Gobert is the only real rim protector. Uh, he just he's the staple for that defense every year. They're always a top five defense. It's always because of him. Every everything revolves around him. Uh, you, you just you watch players play against the Jazz. Look for it throughout the playoffs. Guys are scared to go into the paint when he's there. Uh, like his presence is the most intimidating of any player in the league. I think you kind of see it a little bit with Embiid, but it's not really at the same level because you know he has to exhaust so much of his energy on the offensive side of the ball. Rudy Gobert, it's just it is unbelievable the the way that guys are just scared to put shots up when when he's anywhere near them. Uh, you know, he's got what, like a seven, 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 eight wingspan. Um, and he's just an absolute monster. So I think, uh, even though Ben Simmons might look like he might be a better defender when you're, when you're watching a Sixers game, you know, uh, cause he guards the other team's top scorer or whatever. Um, he, it's just, it's a little bit unfair cause, cause Rudy's more of a big, but Ben Simmons just does not have the same defensive impact that Rudy Gobert does. Uh, in my eyes, it wasn't really even close. Uh, this defensive player of the year, it kind of felt that way with a lot of the awards this year. A um, bunch of runaway candidates, but Rudy Gobert is my my number one for defensive player of the year. Um, rounding out the two and the three, I have Draymond Green over Ben Simmons at two, and then Ben Simmons at three. Um, it's funny you look at Draymond this year, kind of a similar situation to Rudy Gobert. He's obviously a different type of defender, but the Warriors finished the season as the fifth best defense in the NBA. I don't. I don't know who saw this coming. Certainly not me. Um, Draymond, uh, similar to some other guys, kind of like Luca. He starts off the season pretty slow. Uh, you know, he's not fully in shape. Takes him a while to get there. Uh, and then once he gets in shape, uh, like we're getting prime Draymond Green. I know he said, I think it was over the offseason, he said that he thought he was the greatest defender of all time. I don't know that I'd go that far. But you can kind of see what he's saying when uh, – he can capably guard the other teams one through five. He can guard every position. He switches on to everyone. He's the he's fully the uh, the anchor and the staple to this Warriors defense. Um, I mean, between uh, you know Andrew Wiggins actually having probably the best defensive season of his career that was very impressive. But you know, no real rim protector for the Warriors. James Wiseman's always in and out of the lineup. Kevon Looney is only uh, like six eight six nine. He's definitely not a real rim protector like that. Draymond Green is just you know. When, when they're playing the Lakers, he's guarding Anthony Davis, and he's always 
getting these tough assignments. You know, when they're playing the Clippers, he'll be guarding one of their forwards. And just he's always, always matching up with tough guys. And then he's also one of the greatest help defenders that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Um, I mean, he's always just flying around playing free safety and helping on other guys. Uh, he's always talking to everybody, too. I mean, he's got to be the most vocal player in the league. Um, this feels a little bit unfair to Ben Simmons, but I, I'm happy to have him at three. I think he still had a great defensive season. You know, there were some moments uh, earlier in the season before his play kind of dropped off a little bit um, on national TV where, you know, Ben Simmons is guarding. Uh, he's, there's, it was, there was a one-week stretch where uh, he's guarding LeBron at the end of a close game against the Lakers, and he's making stuff really hard for LeBron. And then five days later, He's hounding Damian Lillard all the way up to half court, and it's, he's Dame can't even get up a shot at the end of the game because Ben Simmons is just all up in his stuff. Um, you know, when you have a guy who's just like 6'10 with uh, the, the long arms and crazy athleticism that Ben Simmons has, it's just unbelievable, uh, especially when you put him with Embiid, Danny Green, uh, Matisse Teibel. Like, they, they are probably uh, the most talented defensive roster uh, up and down that we have in the league, you know, between them and the Lakers. Um, but Ben Simmons, definitely their best defensive player. So he uh, slots in as my number three for defensive player of the year. And uh, moving on uh, next, we got sixth man of the year. So this is actually a tough one um, for me. And I think probably uh, just about everybody else, the top two candidates coming from the same team uh, feels like this has been happening pretty frequently recently. Uh, you know, the last couple of years with Montrez, uh, Harrell, and Lou Williams, both being on the Clippers, both being kind of the top two candidates for six men of the year, um, except for, you know, Dennis Schroeder kind of mixing in, some other guys mixing in. But this year, uh, Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, both from the Utah Jazz. Uh, this, was, this was a really tough one. So Joe Ingles played 67 games, only started 30. So you come off the bench more games and you start, you're eligible for six men of the year. Um, Jordan Clarkson only started one game, uh, out of 68. So he's most certainly eligible. Uh, they both played around 27 minutes a game. Uh, Clarkson, you know, he's kind of that more, uh, conventional sixth man of the year candidate in the sense that he's that, that volume score off the bench that just comes in and creates his own offense and is kind of a one man offense when your starters are off. Uh, that type of, you know, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, J.R. Smith, uh, you know, give or take, that type of sixth man of the year candidate. Meanwhile, Joe Ingles, much better defender, awesome playmaker, a lot more efficient. Uh, he's not going to put up the same scoring numbers just because the volume is just not there. Um, but I think uh, it was just a really close call between these two. Joe Ingles uh, had one of the greatest shooting seasons of all time. Uh, I think he had a quote flying around a couple weeks ago um, saying he was like, I don't know what the F true shooting percentage is, but the uh, fact that mine's really good is awesome. It was, it was something like that. Um, but he has a, a 67% true shooting percentage, which uh, basically, if you look uh, up and down the history of the NBA, the only other perimeter players that you'll find at even close to that mark are uh, KD, Joe Harris, and Steph Curry. Um, you know, Joe Ingles, basically, he was as efficient as a guy who dunked every play. Uh, every time he touched the ball. And um, he, he shoots, what, 48% from three. Uh, th sorry, sorry, 45% from three this season. 
Uh, it was 49% uh, until the end of the year where uh, he had to kind of ramp up his volume a little bit with uh, Mike Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell out for uh, these last kind of month and a half uh, of games. And then, um, so, you know, 12 points, five assists, four rebounds, not anything crazy. Um, but just if you look at his on-off numbers, the Jazz are just unbelievable when he's on the court. Clarkson, uh, it's basically the same, if not worse. Um, you know, some people could make the argument that it's uh, it's it's due to who they're playing with, uh, you know, because Joe Ingles overlaps with, with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and, and Gobert more often, while Clarkson doesn't. Um, but basically, the way I'm looking at it, uh, Joe Ingles, uh, his on-off is plus five and a half. Clarkson's minus three and a half. So basically, uh, the Jazz are five and a half points better per 100 with Ingles on the court and, and three and a half worse with Clarkson. Um, if you want to say it's due to subs and uh, substitution patterns, whatever, what have you, sure. But uh, when you also factor in the fact that uh, Joe Ingles is, you know, I'd say the third best defender on the roster. Meanwhile, Clarkson is, is probably uh, the worst, if not second worst, uh, defender of all the guys that get rotational minutes for Utah. Uh, that kind of breaks the tie for me here. And I think, uh, I think I'm going to go Ingles as my sixth man of the year. Uh, with Clarkson coming at number two. Uh, and then, you know, there's a large group of guys that, uh, that were in the conversation for this third spot. Um, between Tyrese Halliburton, who I previously mentioned, uh, Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway Jr. from the Mavs, Miles Bridges from Charlotte, uh, Montrez Harrell on the Lakers this year, uh, Thaddeus Young on the Bulls, who kind of came on uh, more and more throughout the year, um, TJ McConnell, uh, little white backup point guard for Indy, uh, who had the uh, the steals title for a while until Jimmy Butler stole it. You know, had um, I think he had like three different fifteen plus assist games this year. Uh, he's just the most cliche <laughs> white basketball player ever. You know, scrappy, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, hardly a scorer, but just getting in there. Uh, kind of love watching him, but. You know, I'm uh, I'm actually going with uh, a candidate that I have not mentioned. Uh, my number three for six minutes of the year is going to be Derek Rose uh, of the New York Knicks. So he did miss about 20 games this season. Uh, but in the 35 games he played with the Knicks, uh, it was it was truly night and day for that Knicks team. Uh, they went 24-11 and 11 with Derek Rose uh, active this season. So... And, you know, uh, it, you know, he missed about, I think it was like 10 to 12 games, kind of in the, right in the middle of the season uh, due to uh, COVID-19. He got he was in the health and safety protocols for a while. Took him a while to come back and then came back, didn't miss a beat. He was awesome. And then, you know, these last six weeks of the season, uh, he really, he, it was, he was like in the top half of uh, starting point guards in the league uh, in terms of how well he was playing. He was... You could say he was a top 15 point guard in the league, and I would not even blink twice. Um, I mean, he was playing 32, 33 minutes a game off the bench in big games for the Knicks, um, especially with you know some games with Emmanuel Quickly and Alec Burks out. He was shouldering an even larger load on offense. Um, he was about kind of even. Um, I don't know that I'd say he was a plus defender, but definitely not hurting uh, the Knicks on defense. Um, and he was just a vital shot creator for this team. Uh, and he had one of the best shooting seasons of his career. He shot 41% from three uh, as a Nick. 
and it was just awesome to see Derrick Rose play the best basketball he's played in, in six years. So he's, uh, he's getting my number three spot. Um, you know, I think, uh, that, that Clippers game on national TV about, uh, two weekends ago was, uh, kind of sealed the deal for, for this spot for me. Um, I think he had 26, eight and six in a, in a big road win for the Knicks. So, uh, just narrowly edges out Tim Hardaway Jr. And, uh, Miles Bridges, Montrez Harrell, those guys, uh, next uh, staying on topic with the Knicks, we have the most improved player this season. Uh, this is an easy one. Number one, Julius Randle uh, goes from, you know, a negative. He he was, it felt like he was hurting the Knicks last year. Um, you know, I've watched, I've watched a ton of Knicks games over the last couple of years. And Julius Randle last year, you know, every knock on him that you can find, it was, it was basically there. A uh, little inefficient. Uh, turning the ball over like crazy, bad playmaker, didn't make any of his teammates better, uh, bad defender. You, you keep going down the line. Uh, Tom Thibodeau really helped him this year, uh, and you can really see the work that this dude put in over the offseason. It paid off. Um, one Eastern Conference Player of the Month. Uh, it was either once or twice. He definitely won it at least one time. Um, he, had, uh, he had his fair share of 40-plus uh, point games on national TV. Uh, finishes the year putting up 24, 10, and 6 a game. Uh, I'm pretty sure he became, you know, only like the seventh guy in NBA history to to put up those numbers in a season. Um, you know, joining the likes of some some crazy company. It might have even been five or six guys. Um, also joins Larry Bird as only the second player in NBA history to put up 20 points, 10 rebounds on 40% shooting from three uh, for a full season. So that's remarkable. He leads the NBA in minutes played this season. Um, he so one thing I look for with uh, most improved guys is uh, you know adding a new skill, um, especially when you're six or seven years into your NBA career, because nobody expects you to to just stay on this de- developmental curve like that. Um, and forget about adding one skill. Julius Randle completely changed three different facets of his game. So as a shooter. Last year, he shoots 28% from three on three and a half attempts a game. This year, 41% from three on five and a half attempts per game from downtown. Uh, You know, one of the best crunch time shooters, one of the best shot creators in the league this year. Um, So that's one. Another one, his playmaking. Uh, You could see he was really finding guys, you know, Reggie Bullock and RJ Barrett, uh, on catch and shoots, they had a much higher percentage when getting passes from Randall compared to anybody else. Um, felt like he was always finding those guys specifically like in the corners for open threes. Uh, this year, a, a big thing I noticed with him was when he draws double teams, felt like he's always seeing the open pass when last year it, he would dribble off his foot and the ball would go out of bounds and all this BS. And, and this year it's, he's making the right plays, making the right passes. He's making his teammates better. Um, and, you know, he's, he's playing winning basketball. Uh, and, and another thing that contributes to that is the, the third facet of his game that he changed is his defense. Uh, last year, he, he, and, uh, you know, pretty much every year before that on defense, he, uh, he sucks. On, he sucked on defense. And then this year, he becomes uh, a plus defender under Tom Thibodeau. Uh, Tibbs deserves a ton of credit for that. But, you know, Julius Randle, 
playing uh, 38 minutes per game for the NBA's number three defense this season. Uh, you know, he's guarding Anthony Davis and John Collins and Kristaps Porzingis and all these guys throughout the year. And he's winning the matchup every time. He's always getting the better of them. You know, the list keeps going. DeMontis Sabonis, Tobias Harris, uh, even Jason Tatum. Uh, it felt like every time he was matched up with another four or, or big forward, um, he was getting the better of them. And he was, he was leading the Knicks to victory on, uh, on both ends of the floor. And it was really spectacular to watch. So he was the runaway sixth man of the year. Uh, sorry, uh, most improved player this season. Uh, and, you know, if I had to point to a, a moment where he really kind of sealed the deal, I think it would have been during that, uh, the Knicks nine-game win streak um, when uh, they beat the Dallas Mavericks and the New Orleans Pelicans on, uh, on ESPN. I think it was like twice in a four-day span. Uh, and Randall had like 40-plus against Dallas, and then uh, I think he had like 35 against New Orleans in an overtime win. And then after that, it was just like, Okay, this guy's serious. Uh, goes from a, a negative impact player to leading the Knicks to the four seed. So, easy decision there. My number two, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I was really impressed with MPJ this year. So, he actually goes from a guy who struggles to get rotational minutes for Denver a lot last season uh, to becoming, you know, uh, at the end of the year, a borderline all-NBA level player. Uh I mean, you look at his numbers. Once Jamal Murray left the lineup due to injury, uh, you look at the 15 games after Jamal Murray got injured. Michael Porter Jr. is putting up 25 points and six rebounds a game, 58% from the field and 51% from three, which is just unbelievable. Um, and the Nuggets go uh, 11 and four over that stretch. So for uh, the entire last third of the season, he's the second best guy on a top six team in the league. Um, and then you look at his, his full season numbers. He, oh, he more than doubles his scoring average from last year, uh, going from 9.3 points a game to 19 points a game. Sure, uh, he's playing a lot more minutes, obviously. But uh, one thing I like to look at for uh, most improved, guys scoring more efficiently, like Julius Randle did. Michael Porter Jr., uh, I think he was like the fourth most efficient scorer for guys that averaged 15 plus this year. Might have even been third most. Um, his true shooting percentage was, uh, 66%. Uh, he shoots 45% from three and it's crazy. Like he's 6'10", 6'11". He cleans up his ball handling, uh, a lot this year. And it's like, you can never block this guy's shot. It's, it's like, it's almost like a different level than KD. It feels like, cause he elevates so much on his jumpers. Uh, it just feels like when he gets to his spots on the, on the wings, uh, there's just nothing you can do about it. And he's hitting his threes 45 to 50% of the time from there, no matter what. Uh, and I, in two years, I, I would not be surprised if uh, he's a guy that could win most improved player twice in his career, which has still never been done. Uh, as crazy as that sounds. Um, you know, Giannis uh, almost did that a couple years ago. I think MPJ has a chance to be a 30 point per game guy in, in two or three years. Uh, he's really special. And, uh, I'm I'm really curious to see what he does the second best guy on this on this Nuggets playoff run at the end of the year. Um this third spot there's a few guys uh that I considered here. You know, Clint Capella making strides for Atlanta, Darius Garland uh toward the end of the year in Cleveland, you know. Uh Cleveland wasn't that great. 
even with Garland on the floor, they were they were pretty mediocre. Except with Garland off the floor, uh, absolute train wreck. They were the worst team in the league this season when Darius Garland was off the court. Uh, worst point differential than OKC, um, and even you know Detroit and all these terrible teams. They were worse than all of them when Garland was out. Um, and he ends up improving his his scoring and his playmaking toward the end of the year. He was really impressive. Uh, R.J. Barrett, who I talked about earlier, adding that three-point shot was really impressive. Uh, getting a little bit better on defense, too. Uh, Zion Williamson uh, was really impressive. He just missed the cut for this third spot. I really wanted to really wanted to get Zion on my ballot here, but I just couldn't. Um, you know, he goes from uh, around 23 points a game to around 28. I think, like, 30 a game in his, uh, like, last 30 games and after the All-Star break. Uh, just truly magnificent. And he, he really improves his game as a playmaker as well this year. Um, but ultimately, I have to go with Mikhail Bridges uh, as my third spot for most improved this season. Um, you know, I I really, uh, I you know, there were some teams that missed out on him in the 2018 draft, whether it was the Knicks taking Kevin Knox or uh, the, the Sixers drafting him and then trading him to Phoenix. I'm sure those teams are kicking themselves because... Uh, Mikhail Bridges goes from 36% to 43% as a three-point shooter this year. Um, still has not missed a game in his entire three-year career so far. Has not missed a single game. He plays all 72 games this year. Um, he's the single best defender uh, on a Phoenix team that ends up being a top 10, uh, borderline top 7 or 8 defense in the league this year. Uh, he guards the best player every single night for them. He puts up 14 points a game, wildly efficient. Uh, and you know, he's just a freak athlete. He's got these unbelievably long arms that really help him on defense. And, uh, he made some crazy strides this year. Uh, and he, he's not a guy that, uh, is ever scared of a moment. He'll always hit some big shots and big games for the Suns. And, uh, he's somebody to really look out for in the playoffs. So his, uh, his improvement was remarkable. Um, and then rounding out the awards ballot here, coach of the year, uh, first, I'm going to go with Tom Thibodeau here. Uh, you know, taking the Knicks from uh 21 and 45 record last year to 41 and 31 this season. Um you know, the Knicks were bottom 5 defensively last year, now top 3 this year. Um you know, they played a slow pace so they actually allowed the fewest points per game to opponents. Uh Knicks opponents shoot the the worst uh percentage from three point this season. The Knicks three point defense was impeccable. Um, Tom Thibodeau really helping with, uh, you know, the revival of Derrick Rose's career, the improvement of Julius Randle and RJ Barrett and, uh, the revival of Alec Burks and Reggie Bullock and Nerlens Noel. And it's not, it's not a crazy, uh, not a crazy talented roster for the Knicks, but Tibbs gets him to the four seed, uh, co-leading the team with Julius Randle. And then Monty Williams at my two spot. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have Monty Williams at, at one. I think this will be pretty split among voters. Uh, my reasoning here is just, I feel like the primary reason for, for Phoenix's improvement was Chris Paul. And I think this will be what you hear a lot of people say, uh, that have Monty Williams behind Tom Thibodeau and coach of the year voting this year. Um, it felt like Tom Thibodeau was the primary reason for the Knicks, uh, improvement. Cause it really felt like he changed the identity of the team and, uh, Monty Williams, awesome coach. That's why he's, you know, the second best coach in the NBA this regular season, in my opinion. Um, but with a roster that has Chris Paul, Devin Booker, 
Mikhail Bridges. They added Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton getting another year. And then you have guys like Cam Johnson, Cam Payne off the bench. Uh, Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky even giving them some good minutes. It's like James Jones uh, deserves some talk for executive of the year this season. Uh, and I think it's it's the roster transformation is, is really a bigger deal. The Knicks had basically the same exact roster as last season uh, and were a, about 20-plus wins better. Um, so I'm going tips for Coach of the Year. And then my number three spot, um, you know, Mike Malone, Doc Rivers, and Steve Nash kind of just missed the cut here. Really impressed with those guys, what they did, uh, getting their teams to such high seeds despite uh, a lot of their stars missing time. But ultimately, I'm going to go with Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley both missed 20-plus games. And Utah still is able to finish as the best team in the entire league this regular season. Um, you know, I had them pegged as like a 4-5, 6-seed type team going into the season. Uh, I had a hard time seeing them really improve so much uh, over their record last year. Um, you know, they didn't change their roster at all. Uh, I guess they, they bring back Derek Favors to play... 14 backup center minutes a game. Um, but I, let's, let's, let's be real with ourselves. That's not the reason they went 52 and 20. Uh, nobody, no, none of their players made giant drastic improvements. It's just, they had seven guys, eight guys who were really, really good. Um, and Quinn Snyder got the most out of all of them on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, I, everybody's going to say that I might be a little gimmicky for Utah this year, but I, I thought it was a really impressive job that, Quinn Snyder gets this Utah team to finish with a better record than, you know, Milwaukee, uh, the L.A. teams, Denver, Phoenix, uh, Dallas, Brooklyn, Philly. Literally every single team in the league that might have – every team that has a more talented roster did worse than Utah. Quinn Snyder deserves some credit, so he's getting my three spot here. Um, <clears throat> and then wrapping up um, – not going to go too deep into it since uh, I'm already taking a long time here, but uh, I'm going to go through my all all NBA teams. Um, first team, uh, all the guys for my MVP ballot. So I'm going to have Steph uh, and Damian Lillard as my guards. Um, I I ended up not putting Embiid on uh, first team. Um, I know he technically has forward eligibility this year, but you know he misses 21 games, and it's just. Some doesn't right. Some doesn't feel right putting uh, Embiid as a forward. Um, I might sound a little hypocritical here because I end up having I have Luca and Giannis as my first team forwards. Um, you know, you might say like, oh, how does how does Embiid? Uh, how, why why don't you put him as a forward when Luca doesn't play forward either? But uh, it feels it feels wrong having Embiid and Jokic on the same All NBA team. So I'm gonna have Embiid second team. Luca plays a full season. Already did a full outline of him. So Steph. And Dame is the first team guards. Luka, Giannis, forwards. Jokic, obviously, is the center. Moving on, all NBA second team. Chris Paul is my lock here on the second team. Joel Embiid is a lock to be on the second team. And I feel like Kawhi Leonard and Julius Randle, both locks as the second team forward. The one that's up for debate here, uh, my fifth guy uh, on the all NBA second team, is my second guard, Jimmy Butler. Uh, who I haven't gotten to yet on this podcast. Jimmy Butler is my second guard on the NBA second team. Uh, the other guys that are in the conversation here, you know, between LeBron, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kyrie, 
Paul George. I have I have Jimmy over all of them. Um, you know, he was just unbelievable. He was like you know twenty two seven and seven for the entire year, and he had he had a stretch. Uh, I think it was right after he came back from being out due to health and safety protocols. He had like a three week stretch where he's putting up twenty three nine and eight a game, and the Heat are just winning games with him. You know, Miami goes uh, thirty three and nineteen with Jimmy Butler in the lineup this year. And seven and thirteen when Jimmy Butler misses time this year. I mean, uh, the discrepancy is just massive. It is huge. Um, it's it's almost inexplicable. He he was if he if he played a full season, he really would have been a, a legitimate MVP candidate. I wanted to put him on there, um, but the Heat being the sixth seed in the East and uh, him missing twenty games, it was it was hard for me to do that. But definitely an All NBA second team guy this year. Um, and then rounding out my All NBA teams, All NBA third team, I'm gonna have Kyrie Irving. Devin Booker, Paul George, Jason Tatum, and Rudy Gobert. Um, this was really, really difficult for me. So it ended up coming down to uh, between Devin Booker, Paul George, and LeBron. I could only pick two of the three. Uh, and I ended up leaving LeBron off. And it feels weird uh, just because it's LeBron. And, you know, any person with a reasonable basketball mind will tell you that he's the best player in the league right now. Uh, but he only plays 45 games this year, so it, it felt really hard for me to put him on there, missing over a third of the season. Um, you know, D-Book, leading scorer, best offensive player uh, on the uh, the number two team in the West, 50-win uh, team in Phoenix. And then Kyrie, it's weird because he's the third best player on the Nets, but he's the only Net to make an All-NBA team. Uh, he plays the most games in the three, and uh, he was unbelievable when he was in there, so I, I had to put him on there. And then, you look at Jason Tatum this year, 26 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists, um, similar three-point shooting numbers as last year, about 39% uh, from deep on huge volume. He had to be in there. And then Rudy Gobert, the uh, the only Utah player to make an All-NBA team. It was weird. Uh, he really had like an All-NBA second team type of season, but just with Jokic and Embiid, you can't, I can't put him ahead of either of those guys. And uh, Donovan Mitchell missed too much time, so he ends up being the only Utah guy to make an all-nba team so lebron and uh bradley beal end up just missing some other guys that were close zion i really wanted to get on here but new orleans uh i think finishes like the 12th seed in the west um and he missed a little over 10 games so i just i couldn't do that um and yeah so that rounds out my uh my 2020 2021 nba award ballot uh thank you for listening to the i am guru gray podcast and uh We'll have some more content coming out during the NBA playoffs. Enjoy the playoffs, and uh, thank you for listening.